0: Hey, Shannon, guess what? We're not alone tonight. Yes, we have our first guest in the Reading Teachers Lounge. This is the Reading Teachers Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to episode 21, Preschool Literacy. Hi, I'm Mary Sagoffi, I'm a reading tutor and I've taught in all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training and I've been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for over 10 years. I love talking all things teaching and I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts and I've been teaching for over
1: 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just-read activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And tonight we're going to be talking with Emily Howland. Um, She's a preschool educator, and she's worked in the classroom for a while now. You guys are in for a real treat. She has lots of great advice, especially um, related to pre-kindergarten skills. So we're going to head to the interview now. All right. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. You're our first guest.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: We are so honored to have Emily Howland with us today. Uh, Emily is an educator. She has been working in preschools for a number of years now. She has experienced the whole gamut of She has three children of her own. She has been the assistant director at the same preschool. She taught at that preschool. She's taught at a number of other preschools. She offers a whole wealth of information. So I know that there are lots of parents listening. What we're going to be talking about today are the Pre skills that children need before they get into kindergarten. So and Emily, we talk a lot about the foundational skills. So this is sort of the
1: foundation for the foundational skills, right? Exactly.
2: So
0: Emily, did I get that right?
2: Yes. I'm, I'm honored to be here. We, um, you're correct. I'm at the assistant director at the at a preschool now that I've had the privilege of teaching at for a number of years. Um, I've been working with children between the ages of birth and five for close to 20 years now. Um, the The age is just a fascinating age and a rich age for the type of uh, literacy uh, develop that, development that we'll be talking about today.
0: Awesome. So here at the Reading Teachers Lounge, we talk a lot about. a pre-reading skills. but I think one of the big things that we talk about are the social and emotional ill the social and emotional issues that are dealt with during the time in the preschool setting. And for some parents they are concerned about the big transition to kindergarten. Um, what do you recommend for parents as they prepare their students for kindergarten?
2: The number one thing I recommend is just what you said, to give a lot of time and space to help children build skills around self-regulation and social working. So everything from conflict resolution to how you build a friend. Um, these things are really crucial to all sorts of learning that happens um, you know, to and through college. Even. So that foundation is critical and it's important that we as parents and educators resist the urge to bypass um, Uh, that time and rush into what we kind of consider to be these hard literacy and early math skills um, and take away from children the opportunity to really explore and engage and learn about themselves and how to regulate themselves.
1: I haven't heard that term a whole lot before used with early, early childhood, Emily. So can you kind of define self-regulation and what that looks like? As a parent and as a teacher, I'm trying to think what that would look like for a three and four-year-old child. For four a three year old and four-year-old
2: child. child, that means it starts with being able to identify the numerous feelings that you have in response to something during your during your day-to-day. So whether that's glee or frustration or anger or sadness or fear, um, being able to identify that first and be able to name it internally and then start to develop ways that you can handle those different emotions and control them so that they don't impede your learning or your engagement in environment. So we work a lot on this with with the preschoolers in our environment, um, a lot of coaching and social skill building. So in the moment of a conflict of a toy that's been grabbed coming in and looking at that as an opportunity to teach that skill of how to handle that frustration advocate for yourself in an appropriate manner and then move on so that you can get back to uh, learning in your environment.
1: Okay. That reminds me of something I had happen with my son when he was about two and he was really, really angry and he used to like lash out and hit a little bit when he was angry and I was training him, use your words, use your words. And so one day I said, use your words. And he looks at me and goes, words. what words? <laughs> exactly. yeah. And I said, okay, you need to say, um, I feel mad. And he's like, I'm mad. I'm mad. <laughs> that became his words for a while and, until and he that's learned exactly more words.
2: It. You, are at, you, are, you are providing children with language to use. They'll eventually incorporate their own language, but you want to start with some language that you know will work and, and have them practice right there in the moment. Um, you know, in a, lot of, in a lot of schools, there might be a, a timeout situation where the children are separated, but that really takes away this learning opportunity for both sides of the interaction. So you want to come in with the words, you want to have them practice right then and there, have them work on matching their tone of voice to yours. So it, it comes off as an assertive statement, not a passive or an aggressive one.
1: Mary and I were talking in a different episode about metacognition and thinking about thinking. And this sounds like that at the most basic Absolutely.
0: level. It's all about communication in my opinion. Kids really need to have the words. They need to have the words to describe their learning. And then they also need to have the words at an early age to describe how they're feeling, how they can move through their day, how they can learn to transition. And those transitions really apply to elementary school yeah. eventually. And beyond mm-hmm. that, I would
2: say, you know, and we're, we're, we're here today to talk about literacy and, and literacy really begins with a language at this age. So having children be in a language rich environment, including these moments of conflict, which are very real and very practical for them, is a big part of literacy development. So they're connecting how powerful their words are and in a a way that's very meaningful for them and the words of others and the words of um, the adults that work with them. So this is, in my view, very much an important first building block to language and literacy development down the road.
0: I think I'm just going to piggyback a little bit on this. So my daughter is Very verbal. She was born very verbal, essentially. Um, However, she was also very passive. So she would have conversations with adults, and she would obey and do whatever she was supposed to do. But when it came to playing with children, even at the age of 18 months or so, she was so passive. She would just sit and the kids would take their toys away and she would cry. And so the, one of the goals that we worked in preschool on was developing her assertive voice. Mm-hmm. And I think that that pre-skill was so essential. And I think that for her, moving into the elementary school, that's going to be such a huge skill that she has and an advantage that she has over other kids who haven't really built up those social skills yes. yet. And I, I
2: agree 100%. so.
1: I could see that playing out in her writing. Yep. Right. Developing her voice. Go ahead yeah, and say just, what you're gonna say, Emily. Mary,
2: you hit the you hit the nail on the head with what you want um, for Nina and for all children is to be able to really develop a sense of security and safety in their school environment. And that's done through their assertive voice. So with that, she'll be able to bring all of her brilliance out in kindergarten, third grade, middle school, and beyond because she feels like she can handle it. She's got, she's got a path that she can advocate for herself and bring her brilliance out. So sometimes you do see kids who kind of develop a coping mechanism to a, a hectic and sometimes challenging school environment of just retreating. And we want to work to avoid that as well. Right,
0: right. I see that with my struggling students often. It, they almost feel like success is so far out of their reach. It's almost like, I'm just going to avoid, avoid, avoid. Yeah,
1: disengagement.
0: And one of our past episodes was just about the big secret and some of the behaviors that kids demonstrate when they're not reading and how frustrating that can be. Um, But I think that this hits the nail right on the head is just making sure that they are secure socially and emotionally going into kindergarten. And then that kind of carries over to all these other academic skills. Um, okay. Well, we have a few other questions that are about reading and pre-reading skills. So one of the first ones are, what are the pre-reading skills um, that are developed in the preschool setting? What could you see, uh, like, on an everyday well, you know, basis? It's interesting.
2: So everyone's pretty familiar with the, the obvious one of looking for children who can recognize letters or start to form letters. But um, we actually back way up and we look much broader at what literacy is in young children. We look at how they're able to respond to a read aloud when the teacher's reading a story. Are they engaged? Are they able to answer questions about the text? Um, are they be able to, you know, even for the little ones, the one and two-year-olds, can they orient a book correctly? Do they treat a book with care? Do they have, you know, a sense that text is meaningful and can be read and, um, we look at storytelling, you know after we read a, a favorite story during circle time, and then if we provide the children with props that kind of uh, simulate things from the storybook, can they retell it through their own actions? Um, are they making that connection there? Um, so we look at we look at that set sort of thing um, things. then we also look at, you know when you when you think about the sounds that um, words make, we do a lot of games with, you know, you know, having fun with what words start with a n-, n sound and really playing with that. And then from there, we kind mm-hmm. of learn how to, to put two sounds together to make a word or even clap out the different syllables in a word so so that children can kind of start to get a sense for how these sounds combine. Um,
0: and if you are a reader or a listener who Stays with us. That's all those phonological skills. And phonemic awareness skills, yes. Phonemic awareness under the big umbrella of phonological awareness. So, Emily, do you
1: work those in just kind of woven through the day? Or are you formally, you know, doing phonemic awareness um, activities I, with the students. Teachers
2: take different approaches for me when I was in the classroom. Some of these I'd kind of work into our circle time. So we had, you know, we would we would roll a dice and that would indicate what song we sang during circle time. And one of them would be one where we were clapping out syllables and we would have fun. The kids would really try to challenge themselves to come up with a word that had over five syllables. That was the big joyful moment when someone would come in with one of those words. Um, mm-hmm or just informally when we're having lunch or snack or just even during choice time, you know, if I if I overhear someone say, you know, I see that truck over there, I might come into the moment if it seemed right and say, "Yeah, I see that truck too." And then, "Wow, that truck starts with a truck sound, boy. I wonder if we can think of anything else that starts with that same sound just to get them thinking in in those terms and sometimes they bite on it. Yeah, you're playing yes. with language. That's um, sometimes cool. Sometimes they bite on it and sometimes they don't. And that's completely fine. I'll just look for the next opportunity to come in with that. Um, but in general, children this age are joyful in their in their learning pursuits. So they're excited to play games. They're excited to play mm-hmm. rhyming games it can be very silly and fun. And rhyming is such a crucial component to early literacy development. So mm-hmm. a lot of these things come very naturally if you're just willing as an educator to be persistent and keep kind of, offering up these invitations to play with words and see what sticks and what doesn't. Um, and then in their, in their play, too, you know, back to the, the idea of um, making text meaningful for children, making a literacy-rich environment is important. So you're labeling their cubby with their name. I mean, their name is the most important word that they come across um, in their early years. Right, um, mm-hmm. But even extending into if if you have a group of of kids who are really enjoying playing, you know, a pirate game during their choice time, encouraging them to write a sign that says warning pirates are here and helping letting them watch as you form those letters and describing the types of lines you're using. Perfect. Um, they're excited about that because this is, you know, this is part of their play and this is meaningful to them. So it's much more effective than, hey, come and sit down. It's time for us to practice the letter F.
1: I'm here. Hey, Emily, I think we lost you for a second. We're glad to have you back joining the conversation about pre reading skills and early literacy.
0: Yeah, it's you have such a wealth of information. It's so
1: lovely. When you were describing all the songs and things I was remembering when my I have a lot of younger brothers and sisters and when they were in preschool and kindergarten, they all sang the I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas song. Mm -hmm. Are you? Are you familiar with that one? I
2: am. It's a great rhyming song.
1: And then well, it's also like for long vowels, because the children have to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas, oat, 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 opals and bananas. And I don't They don't do it at my school or the previous school I worked at anymore. And I'm like, that is a perfect song to get kids to change vowel sounds.
0: I always had that song going on in my classroom, but we would have to explicitly teach it to all the kids. So I'd have the A and we'd say, I'd like to eat eight, and we do it a little bit slower than the typical rendition. Um, but they were so happy because they're like, I know that song, but now I get that song. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, having metacognition about that. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, so Emily, I guess, what, um, what are some ways that parents can support pre-reading of their kids? Because
2: the school does such a fabulous job. How can we support at home? I would say the number one thing you can do is to just be language, language rich at home. So it's very mm-hmm. powerful. If you're taking five, 10 minutes to sit down and play with your child, just to narrate what you see them doing. Oh, I see that you put that blue block on top of the green block to make it a little bit taller. It doesn't have to be anything sophisticated or, or, or complex just sitting there and, and giving a, you know, a, Oh, I'm struggling with the word like a but- reflection right yeah a well refle- I'm seeing a
1: syntax you're modeling syntax too because you're putting the adjective in front of the mm-hmm. you know green block blue block taller you're t- telling the order of words yes
2: absolutely, and you're you're building their awareness on you know you're doing a lot of things cognitively you're building their awareness on what they're doing, so that kind of um scaffolds um you to another level of learning, but as far as language goes it's just as Utterances are just so important. And um, there's such a strong link with how many utterances a child hears but th- by the time they're three years old and their academic success down the road. So language rich mm-hmm. environment at home is the number one easiest thing to do and free thing to do. Um, I would say after that, mm-hmm. it's just having books in the home and reading and sharing uh, a love of reading with your children. So and teaching them how to care for books and, you know, really talking about mm-hmm. the illustrations you see in the story and coming back to it. So, so kids kind of get a sense of the pattern of a story, you know, the beginning, the middle of the, and the end of the story, um, all of, all of that type of, Types of things are very very helpful um, for young children
1: yeah when you were describing the students on the carpet retelling the story and sequencing I could see that being done at home as well yes
2: yeah yeah
0: definitely I think the other part is that parents you know always feel like oh I have to do more I have to do more but really the answer that we often say too is just read 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 yeah and keep reading
1: and those print concepts you were talking about of knowing how to hold a book, opening it from left to right, flowing through the pages, just being being read aloud, and then also the students picking up the books and kind of pretending to read to themselves, build in those early print concepts too. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. So our next one is the writing skills. So what do writing skills look like in a preschool setting?
1: Yeah, you were just starting to talk about that when we got caught off. You were talking about a pirate
2: yeah, so something. children, yeah, so in that example, um one one building block is is letting kids just watch you form letters. And I think it's good to model too, you know, making mistakes because sometimes kids get a sense of I think they pick up from the adults in their lives that there's there's kind of an expectation of of being able to master this skill. So that can be um, discouraging to some kids. So modeling, making mistakes and trying again and persisting is really important when you're writing. So I'll, when I'm writing, I'll make mistakes on purpose. And then, oops, I didn't I didn't really like the way that looked. So I'm just going to erase it and try it again. Um, or maybe I'll keep working on that tomorrow. Um, but even I think that's
0: such an important yeah. skill that sometimes gets lost in the elementary school, especially now that time seems to be, so essential. Um, But modeling mistakes for all students, no matter what age they are, is so important. Absolutely. And and being okay and teaching them how to move forward past that mistake. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Are you expecting them to get any spelling Correct, or are you okay with just scribble writing, or what is the what are the children really doing when they're in writing? The pre- and is it on primary yeah. paper, or what? in the
2: preschool setting? We're not even quite there yet. Some some children do get there, okay. so you meet them where they are, and you can provide them with those things. But the bulk of the the the, the early writing activities that we're doing in the preschool setting um, is, you know, we'll talk about letter shapes, we'll encourage them to try out on their own, we'll we'll encourage them as they are are experimenting with that. But backing up into the even, you know, the two-, three-year-old-, four-year-old side of things, we're offering a lot of activities that help them strengthen and refine their wrist and finger movements. So um, Mm -hmm. work with... um, paintbrushes and working with pipettes to move water around things that they're engaged in and excited to to do on a repetitive basis so that they can they can really develop those that hand coordination and the wrist flexibility and and all of that stuff that that comes together to form print down the road.
0: That's really important and I think that a lot of people do forget about that Um, you know as soon as kids can kind of grip a crayon you can get them to start writing and just writing and putting whatever their mark is on paper and then starting to get them to draw and having meaning for those symbols and then eventually you know, you can keep modeling. And it doesn't have to be pencil paper tasks. It can be chalk, it can be sticks and sand, it can be a whole array of
2: things, right? Absolutely. And it's it's good to get paper up on easels and let them do it from a standing position and and be coordinating their, their whole upper arm and their body as they are making marks on paper. And um, the one thing I would add also, you know, talking about crayons and pencils is that it, I, I love pencils and crayons for, for early childhood. And we, uh, in, in fact, if you take these writing instruments and make them smaller, break a crayon in half and give it to a child, the way that they pick it up actually naturally kind of encourages this, um, pincer, pincer grasp that's going to be helpful down the road. So there's some things you can do to kind of set them up to, to start developing that efficient hand grip on a, on a writing tool. I love those little
0: golf pencils, especially for for uh like four or five, maybe even six year olds. Yeah. Um, those are the perfect size for their little hands, yeah,
1: and they don't have a eraser, so then you' it encourages students to make mistakes and then they just cross it out and it no big well, deal.
0: I also want to say that sometimes our listeners have older kids or kids that have developmental delays or whatever it could be. Um, If your child is struggling with fine motor skills like that, if you put um, even like a binder and just kind of leave it at a little bit of an angle and have them write on that, it takes away the pressure from their wrist, which is what Emily was saying before. When kids work on an easel, it naturally has their arm vertical. And sometimes when kids are not developmentally able to hold the pencil, they may turn their wrist and you see them kind of like contort their body. Okay, I have they're... a second
1: grader who's doing that. So right. So I might have to try the binder trick that. tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. What you're going to do is just elevate it and you could do it with a binder and just have them right on the binder. I've seen that there are some clipboards that are a little elevated at an angle like that, too. Um, or just have them right at the board. Stick a magnet on the board and have them do their writing on the board. Just a, a little tidbit
1: there. Yeah, I like that that pincher grasp was so important. I had an intervention student um, for two years. I worked with her in kindergarten and first grade. And she could not remember her numbers, names, or her letter sounds. I mean, her memory just was not there. We would work on it. We worked on it. We did multisensory. We worked on it. We worked on it. I mean, it would just be in the brain and out the brain. Mm -hmm. And one day I was watching her pick up blocks. And she was picking them up with like this weird sideways hand motion. And all of a sudden, I realized she didn't have the pincher grasp at all. She could not put her hand together like that. And I um, contacted a friend of mine from college who's an occupational therapist. And I was like, what do I do with this student? And she sent me all these interventions to work on the pincher grasp, like having the girl put coins in a piggy bank mm-hmm. and pick up buttons and lacing and all these other things. And I did that with for like a couple weeks with the student. And then I taught her some of the letter sounds again, and she remembered them. Really? And I swear it was like some develop, I'm not a brain expert, mm-hmm. but like it was some developmental thing where like her brain was not going to learn hmm. anything until her brain could have the pinch or grasp. It was crazy. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Whatever works. Yeah,
1: but I'm glad that y'all are consciously working on those motor skills in preschool because- it, it, you're really consciously thinking about it and choosing activities that would work on that with the yes. students. Yes,
2: and sometimes you get kids who are really—they're really just drawn to gross motor play. They want to be moving and and um, using their bodies in big ways. So that's when you need to start getting creative to make sure that they're um, the activities that they're engaging in are balanced and they're getting the opportunity to um, to develop that those hand those that hand strength and coordination. So Legos are great for the. A lot of the kids who are really into building and things like that, Legos are a great activity to help build those mm. skills as well.
0: I, I think the other piece too is that so many kindergarten teachers often feel so much pressure to do the academic tasks. But not only are they doing the academic tasks, they're also in need to like, you know, do a lot of these preschool skills as well for the kids. So, you know, if you are the parent of a child. Um, in this age group, and you see that the gross motor skills are their number one thing, they need to be climbing and moving and getting that energy out. That's really important. And that's still hard learning that's occurring. Um, But you may want to weave in some skills that way. And if you're a teacher, let's just research, talk about some things that you do to get your kids moving and motivated and how you could use you know, big movements to teach and how can you keep it as multi-sensory as possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I have one more question for you, Emily, about um, increasing vocabulary. Um, How do you work on increasing the kids' vocabulary?
2: Um, What I do, well, again, our, our school is a, at a play-based school, we follow creative curriculum. So we operate in these big choice blocks where the children can engage in their environment. So for building vocabulary um, in that setting, what I do is I come to uh, active play that's happening and I'll watch for a moment where I can drop in a word that I think they may not know yet. And then I will consciously use that word at least five more times right there with them. I'll keep putting it in context and um, and using it a little bit differently within their place so they hear it and then I will make sure to make a note of that in in a notebook or or journal that afternoon and come back to it the next day and the next day after that and I do that over and over and over again so again, meaningful language um, is is the way to go here. So trying to come up with ways to expand their vocabulary within the child's interest is the most effective way. Mm. Great advice. So where are you,
1: where are you coming up with those words just from what the students, yeah, if I need what you know, the
2: students like, absolutely. Um, what they're interested in there. Cause again, it's, uh, this is all place. So we're just playing with sounds and we're playing with, um, you know, yeah, we're playing with sounds and we're just, trying to scaffold and bring more... Um, oh, I'm sorry, i messed messing this up.
0: <laughs> I wonder if we can give a little context, yeah. um, because the school that you said is play-based. So there are some Montessori schools, some academic-based schools, some private schools. Could you give a little context about what the difference would be between like a play-based school or a regio school? There's all kinds of these different preschool models. So can you just give a little context about that? Yeah. Those?
2: I, so a lot of, you're right. Play-based can mean different things for different curriculums. So you might have a school that identifies as play-based and what they mean by that is that it's time to sit at the table and here you can play with this puzzle or you can play with this um, set of blocks over here. So it's, it's actually limited mm-hmm. in the play. Um, and I mean, I still would argue that it's it's good that kids are learning through experiences and in, in in a hands on manner. So I, I do think that that's good. But mm-hmm. um, our school uh, f- with the creative curriculum, it really is choice based within your play. So you're you're creating an, a rich environment that has opportunities for learning in all areas of development, um, whether it's cognitive or mm-hmm. literacy or language or math or all of these things. Um, you're providing mm-hmm. materials in your classroom. You're letting children go to what draws them and begin their play. And then you as an educator come and ask questions to get them thinking about different things or play near them and mimic their play or maybe change it up and see if they copy what you're doing. So um um, that's kind of the creative curriculum approach. Um, Reggio is, is somewhat similar okay. too. There's kind of more of a focus on, uh, developing projects over time and invitations to play. So setting up the blocks, um, in such a way that kind of inspires thinking as the children approach the blocks as opposed mm-hmm. to just blocks on the shelf. Um, and then Montessori also is very focused on practical life skill development. And there, a lot of the work that they do, um, again, in play is working on fine motor skills, working on left to right work. So they'll do, you know, things like moving water from a, a bowl on the left to a bowl on the right. So you're kind of getting that left to right correspondence going. That's a, a important and, Reading down the road and other practical life skills that are kind of targeted at building those hand muscles and and those that arm coordination.
0: Mm. I see. Great, that's so, really helpful.
1: Yeah, so I want to. I'm kind of going back yeah. to the vocabulary because I want to picture it because I've never seen yeah. y'all's preschool. So if they're playing with the blocks and. The teachers, y'all, go and you engage them in conversation yes. that's meaningful yes. as they're playing. And let's say they built a tall and they, a building, and they said, "Oh, I'm building yes. a city or something." You could introduce the word skyscraper, or I, I could, or something or at or that I could time. go in and be
2: like, "Wow, that's really big. That's really large. That's enormous. Enormous is." Really, really um, big, and then I'll come back in and drop that word enormous again. And maybe I'll play with the word. If there, you, you kind of have to go with what interest level you're getting from the kids. Um, you know, we might, I might, in the moment, clap out the word enormous. Wow, that's got how many claps can we put into that word and see how many syllables are there? And um, yeah, build on that. Maybe, maybe later in the sandbox, somebody takes a giant scoop of sand and I can drop it in right there again. Wow, look, you t- t- scooped such an enormous pile of sand up. Wow, look at that. And what, what is amazing to me with this age group is nine times out of 10, I will hear them using that word in context appropriately right. within the next next couple of
0: days. Oh,
1: oh wow, because they're such sponges yes. at that yes. age.
0: Right. Well, they're so interested in sounding yeah. grown up too.
1: Well, I'm thinking that even for some of my English language learners, I could do some language development with them on the playground um, while they're playing.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah. And build weave in
1: some words and some conversation in a really casual way and kind of see if they pick up on the words that I'm using. And also, like you said, taking notations of, okay, we talked about some of these words, see if I can um, bring them into conversation later, or if we are reading a book and we notice them there.
0: Another one that I love to do is introduce idioms that way, too. Um, idioms are so funny when uh, you're introducing them to kids, especially who are on the autistic spectrum, who are very literal. It's really important to, like, directly introduce these things. Um, but I will say that my daughter is four, and she heard the phrase, a real oh. knee slapper. So now she, if anything is funny, she goes, oh, that's such a real knee slapper, and it's so funny. But the <laughs> she way it sounds she, old-fashioned, exactly. But you know, it's something that she can take and use in her everyday yeah. life, and all those things are so important. Um, and I really do love the way that the children and the teachers and the whole community really builds language into you know their everyday experiences. Yeah. And I think that's really what parents can take away too. That's what you do. That's what a language-rich environment Absolutely.
1: is. I have learned so much from talking to you, <laughs> Emily.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. So we we have three helpful skills for children as they enter pre-K and kindergarten. So let's just recap it a little bit because for me, the big takeaway was feeling secure in your social and your emotional mm-hmm. context in school so that you could really take in all the academic things that you really need at that point.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. The self-regulation
0: that you the talked about regulation. Uh, the other one is read, read, read at home. Yep. Yes. And I think finally just keep creating a language rich environment. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been so wonderful, Emily, anything else that we should really, you know, tell parents to really capitalize I mean, on. At this just,
2: just take advantage of um, this joyful learning that happens right now. So have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make, yes. make reading time a time that you enjoy as well. Um, you know, try to block out the busyness of life so that you can, you can really enjoy that moment. And that joy and that energy very much spreads and kind of sets a foundation for um, your child's approach to, to learning and reading down the road.
0: Oh, I loved this conversation. Thank you so much, Emily.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming to the Reading Teachers Lounge. Thank you all for having me.
1: Wow, what a great conversation. I am so glad that y'all got to hear all of that. Um, We both learned so much from Emily, and I hope that you did too. This chat um, helped me understand my own young children that I have at home, as well as understanding the early reading development of my students.
0: Likewise, it makes me feel so um, honored to know Emily, and I really, I respect the work that she does every single day. It's fantastic. So
1: we've got other interviews um, scheduled coming up soon, so I hope that y'all enjoy us having a guest on the Reading Teachers Lounge. So thank you so much for listening to the Reading Teachers Lunch podcast. We would like to thank Jordan Kempker for providing the original music and Allison Zane, a fruit Creative for the artwork. If you could, please write us a review on iTunes, then that will help more teachers find us, and it also it makes us feel so good when we check iTunes and see y'all's reviews. So thank you. Also, if you find our information valuable, please tell a fellow teacher or parent to come and check us out on our webpage, www.readingteacherslounge.com. We put all of the resources that we cite on the website and lots and lots of pictures, so it's a little bit like a blog post with, with links and um, visual aids. So check out our website in addition to our Instagram. Thank you. Thank you.